Welcome everybody. This is our second edition of Ground Control. Our first edition actually had Malcolm Palmer talking about the equity markets. Today we're very fortunate to have Andrew Papagiorgio, who is the joint uh, managing partner of Realm, who look after a considerable amount of our money and uh, have been with us from the start of our care philosophy. Today we actually want to uh, discuss really what's actually happening within the, uh, the credit and fixed interest markets and give you a bit of a picture of where um, Realm see the markets actually going uh, during this black swan event. Andrew, thanks very much for your time today and, and thank, we appreciate you coming up uh, from Melbourne to shoot this for us. Our clients are obviously extremely concerned about where things are going in the world today. We're trying to make sure that we keep up with what is actually happening and so we do appreciate you making that time uh, for us. So from your perspective, and we've had lots of discussions over the years, this is a really unusual event. Um, how are you seeing it um, playing out at the moment? Oh look, I think it's. I think it'd probably be handy just to take a step back and and, and let's just talk a little bit about how this thing has evolved up until this point. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's one of those things where it's just very difficult for human beings to conceptualise. I mean, for all of us trying to get a sense of what we were seeing in the early days and. Uh, you know, certainly when we started to, to, to look at the first uh, bits of research relating to uh, how big an impact this could be, I, I think um, your first reaction was just to sort of try to look past it. You almost experience cognitive dissonance when you start uh, looking at, uh, you know, the work of epidemiologists talking about, you know, 40 to 70 percent of populations contracting this thing and, you know, the potential for uh, X percent of the workforce to be sidelined and unemployment increasing by significant amounts. And, uh, you know, those numbers all seemed really far-fetched towards the middle and end of February, uh, but they were there. You know, they were there. It was clearly something that could manifest itself in the way that it's now sort of coming, that it's now coming to pass. Uh, and, and really what we saw from the middle end of February to today is, is uh, market and society almost catching up to that narrative in many ways, you know. So uh, I think in terms of uh, how you saw it manifest itself very predictably early on, you saw the shock of it. Okay, so uh, you saw significant price action and uh, I think a lot of people have already alluded to the fact that the, the price action this time around has been severe and it's been quick, you know, so uh, it's a market movement that's almost moved too fast for people to get their head around it, you know, so if you think about it by comparison to what we saw during the GFC where, you know, the first signs that there was something really, really wrong were, were in, uh, you know, the early parts of 2007. And, you know, you're talking about the market hitting its absolute lows by March 2009, you know. So uh, that wasn't great either. But uh, you, had, you had a period of time to sort of digest it. Yes. You know, you had, you had your periods where you felt better and uh, worse and better and worse and, you know, it allowed a level of recovery. Uh, this has been brutal uh, in terms of uh, just how quick and how hard uh, it's come through. And what it's done is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of highlighted some of the, uh, uh, some of the frailties of of the system, and when I say the system, I'm not simply talking about the financial system. I'm just talking about, uh, you know, the, the the way we do business, the way we live. You know, we've we've built a very complex, interconnected society that we live in that's really intricate, uh, but it lacks depth. You know, that's really what it comes down to. So it lacks depth. So as soon as you take what is in essence an incredible liquidity shock, okay, where Essentially, you go and put large chunks of the global economy into force majeure and say, you cannot operate. You know, you tell airlines they have to ground their fleets. Uh, you tell cafes and bars they have to close their doors. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's something that the system is just not set up to do, you know. And 
uh, we were talking earlier around uh, even how credit rating agencies see and assess the world. You know, the, the liquidity test uh, that a credit rating agency will generally put through is, is a percentage of someone's credit rating. You know, so it's not the entirety of a credit rating. I mean, credit rating agencies generally wouldn't run a test to assume that you can't earn any income for a year, right? So. All of a sudden, if you don't have the cash there, you're in a lot of trouble. And as people start to appreciate that, and initially you could just sort of see it was just like, you know, it was like the stone in the pond. Initially, we got really worried about airlines. You know, so people started saying, well, what happens if airlines can't fly? And, you know, I think investors would have very quickly moved on from that point at that stage to, well, what happens if people can't go to their local vicinity centre or centre group? shopping centre? What if people can't drive on that lovely transurban road? Uh, and so on and so forth. You know, So think about how all of these other themes where they don't necessarily have the same and obvious proximity to the stop business now theme that was in airlines, as it sort of started to fan out, you start to understand just how many things were vulnerable and frail. And I just feel that we're still sort of coming to terms with the numbers. Okay, and uh, you know when when you're in a place like Australia where we haven't seen a recession for uh, what thirty odd years, nineteen ninety one. Yeah, yeah. So coming to terms with the idea that unemployment could jump seven percent for a period of time as casual employees uh, get hit, uh, you know the, the the magnitude and gravity of that is is just again difficult to conceptualise in the same way that it was difficult to conceptualise that forty to seventy percent of people could get this thing. And then, you know, there's, there's also the other effect where there's the debate around, uh, you know, even if it doesn't get to 40 or 70%, the measures you're taking in stopping it from getting there are probably, you know, almost as severe as <laughs> from an economic standpoint. But, of course, the benefit is that we don't lose hundreds of thousands of people. You know, we don't give ourselves the shock where our humanity is tested to the point that, you know, we have to bury loved ones and mortuaries are overflowing and uh, we're asking critical care nurses and doctors to choose who lives and dies. I mean, you know, as a society, I think we're better than that. So you take the economic hit. You know, you take the economic hit and everyone gets called to national service. And, uh, you know, in terms of how this is evolving now, uh, you know, you deal with the first problem first. Okay, and the first problem first is how do you deal with the fallout in the sudden change in the environment around liquidity? You know, and that was, that was clear straight off the bat, uh, this, uh, this general panic and search for liquidity was awe-inspiring, you know, and where it uh, probably was most evident and most concerning from a fixed income investor standpoint was, you know, government bonds lost liquidity support. You know, so uh, Australian 10-year government bonds uh, or longer bonds, which would generally rally in a period of economic uncertainty, mm -hmm. started to sell off because, frankly, there just wasn't enough cash in the system to keep them tethered. Wow. Uh, so everyone's just rushed to get the money, you know, and a range of reasons for that. Insurance companies getting cash there to ready to pay claims. Companies all over the world drawing down on their bank lines so they have money there to get through this next period and a general level of conservatism. You know, we also saw, you know, this whole ETF market's been really tested through this as well. So corporate bond ETFs all of a sudden start suffering a magnitude of selling. And then you start to see the first knock-on effects, you know. So you saw that oil price fallout, which other some people might look at as unrelated, but it's not. Really what that is is classic beggar thy neighbour type behaviour where you know there is finite growth looking forward and you just, you know, you, you just take as much of it as you can at any price, yep. you know. So... Uh, you're seeing people delivering oil for cash flow below economics, and it doesn't matter because really what's valuable right now is having that cash in your hand. 
uh, and then that creates its own knock-on effects, right? And and this is what happens when you move a financial system that fast, that hard, stuff's going to break, you know. So all of a sudden, hedge fund managers that are that are nibbling like birds at very, very small opportunities where they're doing what's known as basis trades, where they're making small bets around various types of interest rate product that, you know, these bets are generally seen as safe and low volatility bets. All of a sudden, you get a move like this and that trade's no longer a low risk or volatility bet. And there's a capitulation. You know, there's, there's another big issue was around volatility, of course, because people have, um, you know, in a very, very low interest rate environment, people have started to habitually sell volatility as as a quasi-income product, you know, and all of a sudden when volatility goes from rolling down and allowing people to earn thousands of dollars by just simply being selling insurance to the share market, all of a sudden that reverses savagely and people are in a situation where, uh, you know, what was going to be a $2,000 cash amount that was going to go into their pocket, all of a sudden turns into a $37,000 or $40,000 check they have to write. Um, wow. So that's crazy, you know, so that's in the equity market, that's in this related market. So, uh, you know, and, and there are just various examples of this. In corporate credit, uh, you start to see frailties where, you know, a lot of our issuers over here as well have become really cosy issuing bonds to a lot of Asian private bank investors. Now, a lot of these investors take margin loans to buy these bonds. Yeah, you get margin calls. These things come off Absolutely. 7% or 8%, you get a margin call and then they come off another 8 you know, so, you know, you, you look for us, we had the opportunity over the last week to, you know, think up a price that we thought was fair, take a couple of bucks off that, and then take four more off that again. You know, so you started to see numbers where, you know, you started to trade at levels that were materially below what we would feel was a fair level of compensation for the default risk you're taking. And that would say to us that what you're then starting to receive is a level of liquidity premium or illiquidity premium, okay? So these assets have to move from weak hands to strong hands or just any hands at all, right? <laughs> and then what happens then is if you've got a certain amount of cash, as we do, because we, we are, look, our, our, our thing is we are total return, we do look to reduce our risk when markets are complacent and we look to step in in this kind of market. But even we need to be careful at a time like this because we need to preserve liquidity for our unit holders. Okay, And we become very, very, uh, our expectations rise a lot in terms of the total return we want to make. So we're not necessarily even looking at, you know, I don't think many people would be, where they have money to spend, would be looking at fair value. You, you almost have a total return target in mind that you expect to make, you know, so, uh, and you ration your capital. And if you can't get a great price today, you just wait till tomorrow, because what's the rush? I mean, we're, we're going to be in this, you know, this fragmented environment for a period of time. Mm, um, yeah. Look, I think it's, um, it's really interesting to, to understand when we think about market falls, we think a lot about the value that uh, people can pick up through being able to identify where yep. um, uh, companies have been oversold. And it wasn't necessarily all that obvious to me that, that the same thing occurs in the fixed interest market yep. during these times. And it's great to see that you've got a fantastic handle on, uh, on what's going on. And you're also, from our client's perspective, actually being careful with that cash and making sure it, uh, it actually is used to its best possible um, situation. From an economical, economic perspective, um, and particularly Australia, uh, where do you see this, um, um, this, these changes and these impacts actually um, affecting most? Um, there's obviously the obvious ones that we've talked about in yep. regard to the airlines and so on, but from a knock-on perspective, where do you see them impacting most? 
I, I was around in 91 when we had the recession we had to have, the yep. R word, the, the Banana yep. Republic that yep. uh, Paul Keating had. We had in, uh, unemployment at around 12%. Yep. Um, and in fact, that's the official unemployment rate. In places like Wollongong, south of Sydney, uh, it was nearly 25%. Yep. So yep. there was substantial unemployment. Um, where do you see the economy being hit, hit most? Excuse me. Uh, look, you know, clearly the areas where it's just ground to a halt uh, are the ones that are most affected, you know, and, uh, you know, what you can see in that regard, the, the hospitality industry, uh, you know, the uh, uh, cafes, restaurants, uh, you know, sporting competitions, airlines, anything that's been forced to grind to a halt today and is looking at an uncertain outlook for a period of time is clearly in the epicentre of this. And, uh, you know, the, the, the staff who work for these companies are going to be heavily affected as well. So, you know, you, you think about the weakest hands in the economy. I mean, there's an old saying that during a famine, the rich become poor and the poor die. You know, and it's, it's a real, it's a harsh way of sort of saying it. But, uh, you know, the, the weakest, the most vulnerable people always suffer the most in these types of situations, which is why, you know, a government response, uh, you know, the government also has a moral responsibility to respond in these types of instances, not just the fiscal one. Yeah, so what, what's your view of the stimulus? Um, you know, we, we hear lots and lots of numbers and some of them are big numbers, um, uh, but we have no relativity to, to this. So the average person in the street doesn't know what it means yep. for some of that stimulus. Can you give us some sort of uh, feedback on how that works for us and, and what's significant and what isn't yeah. significant? So, so the thing with stimulus, I mean, the, the, the Commonwealth Government uh, Treasury and uh, the RBA can certainly commit an amount of money that is a significant number versus GDP. Okay, so right now we're looking at numbers already of around 10% of GDP. The problem is getting that money spent in an environment like this where everyone's at home is actually really hard. Hmm. So you can't actually fill the hole that this crisis creates. Okay, what you can do though is you can you can build this bridge over uncertainty that they're talking about. So you commit as much money as you can to maintaining capacity, okay, not creating a destruction of services or industries or jobs, okay? So we take the cash flow hit, uh, we get to the other side, whatever that looks like, hopefully it's not a bridge to nowhere, <laughs> but we do get to the other side at some stage and, and ultimately uh, what a win looks like is that uh, you've, you've preserved as much of the economy as you can, you know? So, uh, you know, that, that's where you look at that tourism uh, and airline package there that the, the government announced. Like, ultimately, they want those two carriers there. They don't want to put themselves back into a situation where you're just dealing with one, OK, and uh, handing Qantas a monopolistic position and then needing to rebuild a second carrier like you tried to do with Ansett from scratch. I mean, you, you lose years, you know, and, and then think about that and just, you know, put that across every other market, you know. So, uh, objective is keep as much intact for when we get to the other side. Okay, and the, the tougher thing is, is where do you drop your bombs? Because it's not that obvious where to put the money. Okay, um, so where we think you want to be is you want to be in a narrow channel around what we would define as being broadly speaking critical industries. Uh, you know, like mortgages, people's homes is actually a critical industry. It yeah. actually is our economy, right? So, you know, what you've got is you've got Commonwealth government, you've got a nation uh, that has done a pretty good job keeping a uh, uh, a pretty clean sheet up until now uh, and uh, you know if you're not going to lever it up here for the benefit of the public when are you going to do it you know so uh, we're not surprised at all to see 10% of economic activity or GDP 
put to the national cause. And you can expect that that number will rise. You know, now, after we get to the other side, well, then, you know, there's what tomorrow brings. And you're, you're probably looking at higher Medicare levies and uh, coronavirus uh, solidarity uh, taxes and goodness knows what else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, at the same time, the share market is going to have to pull its way as well. You know, they're, they're, they're going to have to cut back their dividends. You're not going to be able to run your buybacks. Uh, you, you're going to have to build liquidity positions because now we're all more aware that you actually need more cash on your balance sheet. And what that does, of course, is it does reduce your return on assets, does reduce your return on equity. Your payout ratios are going to get, get a bit lower. But what you're going to build is you're going to build depth okay, in that financial system, which is clearly what we lacked here. You know, we lack that real depth. So there's a period of time after with that we need to heal. Um, their objective is that there's something there to heal. Yeah. You know, that is a much better outcome than getting to the other side and that industry just not existing, you know, and us creating a, a social crisis, you know, and um, being of, of Greek descent, uh, you know, I, I, you know I, I followed that Greek crisis very closely. And, and the one thing everyone learned from that, and it's, it's unfortunate that the Greeks had to be turned, as, uh, turned into guinea pigs to this end, but, uh, you know, you, you don't get what you destroy back. You know, it comes at enormous social cost. You know, you have, you know, increase in suicide rates, destruction of critical industry, you know, destruction of jobs that just, you know, that, that they will never get back over there. You know, so we know enough to know that that's how it works if you don't step in and protect the economy meaningfully. Now, I think what Australians should have confidence in is that that's exactly what they're going to do. And, and look, I, I think we all have a, a, you know, a good time needling and sinking the slipper into politicians and to, into bureaucrats. But, uh, you know, uh, the bell low, uh, you know, they're, they're people that understand the system. They're across what's going on on a day-by-day -day basis. And they have the latitude and ability and the intellect to act meaningfully in a way that matters. And get us across the bridge. Yeah, get us across the bridge. And the same goes for, you know, the, the, the guys within the AIFM that are going to do things like manage the, the you know, this, this new Australian RMBS and ABS facility. Uh, you know, guys like Michael Barth over there are, uh, again, you know, not only are, are these people uh, really intelligent and talented public servants, they're human beings that care. You know, and, and this is the one thing that, that people shouldn't look past. I mean, the, the guys with you know, their hands on power. And, and, you know, this is one of those things where you, you've got to be cautious of people that are prone to conspiracy theory and, and think that, you know, this is just one more class action where, you know, the poor are going to be wrung dry for the benefit of uh, the rich and the 1%. It's really not the case. I mean, the guys uh, that are sitting here trying to get us through this are looking to do their best. But, uh, you know, there's no guided missiles on this one. There's a lot of dumb bombs that you drop in a general area where help is required and you hope it's enough, you know. Uh, but, like, clearly one of the areas that they've identified is forbearance. You know, now, to what degree the state is going to have to play a role to back banks up for people that miss their mortgage payments or fall into arrears, uh, look, it's unclear, but I, I would expect that you, you continue to see them re-up and provide protection and safeguards for the systems and taxpayers. Yeah, well, look, I, th I think that's really important for uh, for the clients and the advisors to actually know um, that uh, that this is uh, happening this way because, um, as I said earlier, relativity we, we have none. Yep. Um, it's great to hear from a professional that um, that we're heading in the right direction. Mm. Let's talk a little bit more around um, around your fund, uh, particularly sure. the Realm High Income Fund. 
which um, many of our clients actually have, either through yep. uh, directly through portfolios or through our care philosophy. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how it's actually been impacted and what you see the future is for that fund? Yeah, sure. So, look, one thing that uh, we've always been very open about is the fact that we, we are an absolute return manager. Uh, and we do tend to take can a I, contrarian approach. Can I just jump in there? Sure. For, for some people listening today, they won't know what an absolute return manager yep. is. Can you just explain that uh, sure. to, to us? Sure. So we are not, we're not tied to any one benchmark. Essentially, what we're looking to do is find the most efficient way of delivering on a return target through the cycle. And our return target is 3% over cash after all fees. You know? And in all the early work that we did when we built this strategy and uh, the way it's managed by myself, Rob uh, Camilleri and uh, Ken Liao, who's our head of risk and the, the team uh, that work with us, is that we, we, we seek to take a contrarian approach in terms of how we deploy capital. Okay? And, uh, to really simplify it, what we, what we try to do uh, and what success looks like for us is that we need to be taking risk off the table in periods of time where complacency is very high and the level of compensation we are receiving for taking the risk of default is very low. Okay? And we want to be gathering that money so we can redeploy it in periods of time like we're seeing now, okay? where essentially the worst case is starting to, to be implied. Uh, and the reason why that's important is that, uh, you know, post the GFC, uh, liquidity within credit and fixed income markets has become a lot more problematic and it tends to be very pro-cyclical, okay? So you, you, it's really magnified the importance of having cash at times like this so you can deploy, you know. At the same time, you also need to have liquidity available for people that want to reallocate to other asset classes or do whatever they need to. So it is a balancing act, but look, our, our strategy and approach allowed us to come into this period in relatively good shape with a clean book that was ready to be deployed into risk. So uh, I think the, uh, the month of February, uh, our uh, net of fee return would have sat somewhere between 14 and 15 basis points positive, which was pleasing in a month where uh, a lot of our peers uh, might have struggled to deliver a positive number. And uh, as at the 20th of March, which is our last available unit price, the last one I have, uh, we were down 1.77% uh, after all fees, which again compares very favourably to peers. At the same time, through this period, what we've seen is our yield to maturity increase materially because the credit assets we've ho we hold have gone down in price, which is which increases their yield, but we've also been able to put money to work. Okay, so we feel that this puts us in a position with a medium term view uh, to meet our return target with, uh, with a higher degree of certainty than we've, we have when the opposite is true. You know? So for us, a horrible environment is one where interest rates are going to zero and there's just no value anywhere. We, we kind of feel like we get stuck in the corner in that type of situation because we have to take reinvestment risks. So while a lot of our peers are earning good numbers by having their neck stuck out, we're doing, on a relative, on a relative basis, we're doing a lot worse. You know? But this is where we get the chance to put the kicking boots on and position the fund to, to be in a really good position over the next uh, period of time. But equally, uh, the, the performance that we've demonstrated over a period like this also points to the fact that you know, there, there is always a focus on the preservation of capital. And uh, you know, it's, uh, we are stewards uh, of other people's money. And uh, you know, from that perspective, we take a, a very uh, deliberate risk budgeted approach to even how we're adding risk at the moment. You know, so we are leaking risk into this market rather than you know, trying to be superstars around picking what any kind of bottom might look like, right? So, you know, we're working on the assumption that this comes in waves, 
that you know it gets worse and then people feel better for a period of time and then worse again and so forth. What we need to do is, as this plays out, we need to keep the book in a position where it delivers optimised outcomes. So we want the ideal portfolio for our clients over the medium to long term while also preserving liquidity. Uh, so, uh, look, we, we feel that uh, as we get to the other side, uh, we're going to end up in an environment where absolute interest rates are very, very low. And at that stage, uh, you know, people are going to survey the environment, assets that have survived, that people are comfortable with, that are money good, which is what, what we call assets that you can uh, rely on being paid back on. Uh, those assets will start to look very attractive if uh, credit spreads are starting, you know, if, if, if good companies are, are paying threes and fours and fives, uh, if you're getting zero from your bank term deposit, you might find that that's quite attractive. So what you would expect is as the dust settles and volatility starts to subside, you would expect that you'll start to see money flow through. Okay, And as that occurs, we'd expect that credit would start to deliver a reasonable level of performance over the medium term. Um, while the environment remains fragmented, though, it'll, it'll be flat and patchy. You know, there's no real impetus right now for people to rush right in. Uh, but look, we, we, we take a lot of confidence from the measures that have been put in place to defend liquidity of the market, uh, what the Federal Reserve's done overnight in terms of putting money to work in the corporate bond markets are real positive from our perspective as well. Uh, you know, they've done a lot in the short end of their money market. We've done a bit over here as well, the RBA providing uh, banks the ability to borrow a reasonable amount of money at 0.25 for three years. We expect that to flow into the credit market mm -hmm. and, uh, and provide an underpinning of sorts. And, and you know, once, once things sort of stabilise and people get to that stage where you know, it doesn't even have to be that stage where we, uh, we feel the worst we're going to feel. It, it's probably that stage where people start to get a greater degree of certainty around what this bad, what, you know, what a negative outcome looks like or a better outcome looks like or a base case looks like. You know, because in the meantime, we're just getting, guessing. And as you start to see that, cer that greater certainty come into people's expectations or into their projections and modelling, I should say, we would think at that stage you start to see a level of demand flow through to our asset class and you'd start to see that perform. So... Look, we're, we're actually pretty positive, you know, and it's, uh, you know, you, you want to be, uh, look, I'm not going to sit there and jump on the table like, to, you know, like uh, Tom Cruise with Ellen DeGeneres, but, <laughs> you know, like it, it is something that ultimately a repricing like this is, is an opportunity for managers, not only like us, but credit managers generally, to reset their book for the next period of time. So, uh, look, we're, we're reasonably positive and, uh, you know, I'm, I mean, our mindset is, you know, to be careful and respectful of the of our fiduciary duty to our uh, clients in protecting the capital, but equally, uh, you know, we we want to be able to capitalise on this. You know, that's that's what we're here to do, and um, uh, you know, we're working hard. But it's actually a you know, for guys like us, it's an enjoyable environment because we are active, we are market facing guys, we are quite aggressive in terms of how we work, and uh, look, our, our our loyalties to our clients. Mm, you know, so fantastic. yeah, that, that's that's how we're approaching it. Well, Andrew, thanks very much. I've got one last question for you. As sure. I've said many times, you're one of the most uh, intelligent and insightful people I've actually had the pleasure of knowing. Um, putting, uh, taking yep. off your manager hat uh, yep. for the moment and, and talking about uh, your experience over the years, yep. to the average investor out there at the moment, what, what advice would you give to them? Oh, look, you know, the, the keeping keeping your state of mind clean is really important at a time like this because, uh, look, you know, the um, 
uh, again, the speed of this drop and the amount of stimuli and the fact that we are being affected in such a way where we're, you know, we're, we're in these really anomalous type of circumstances where we're stuck at home and we may have loved ones that are, you know, that are immunocompromised or, you know, it, there's a lot to deal with, okay? There really is a lot to deal with. And I think mindfulness is really important, you know? I, you know, I, uh, I, I worry about giving a biblical quote, but, you know, sufficient is the day for its own worries, probably a decent one at a time like this, right? Yeah, because, you know, uh, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow brings its own trouble. You, you know, you, you've just got to be focused on what you're dealing with now, okay? And it really is the kind of environment where there is a high danger, and not only for clients or investors, but for investment managers as well. Uh, the, the, the potential of being overwhelmed, okay, and becoming overanxious, and uh, becoming mentally affected by the environment. You know, this is the kind of environment that will do that to people. And this is why it's all well and good to look back with the benefit of hindsight and say, hey, why didn't you buy the dip? Why did you sell there? But what that, what that um, neglects is the fact that people are, are you know, they're, they're absolutely tormented in some cases mentally, you know. So the first thing is get yourself right, okay? Get context and perspective around what's going on, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, dare I say it, it's only money as a worst case, and all you can do is your best, you know? So it's about making the best quality decisions you can. And there is nothing else in your power at a time like this. There really isn't. And you know what? We all, as investment managers, we're, we're often, we're often uh, caught trying to outmaneuver tomorrow and get it in a pincer movement and, you know, creating <laughs> narratives of convenience and stuff like that. But this kind of environment isn't about tomorrow. You know, I mean, the bridge, the bridge to somewhere when we get there we'll figure it out you know and, and it will have its own environment there'll be stuff there that we haven't foreseen that we'll have to deal with today today there's what we can see on our screen there's the problems we have to deal with and the responsibilities we're responsible for uh, and really i think that's the whole thing i mean understanding that everyone's human uh, and uh, you know people just i think in, in this kind of environment investors advisors just be kind to yourself is the other thing i would say because uh, you know i, I think uh, as an advisor in particular, I think a lot of cases people feel like they need to be or they must be the expert or they must be the font of all knowledge. You know, sometimes you're just not going to understand what's going on and it's okay too. You know, you yeah. just do your best and you service your clients, you stay close to them, uh, you let them know you care uh, and you react to circumstances as they're going through and you adjust, you know. So uh, that would really be the only thing. Yeah. Fantastic. Look, thanks, Andrew. I really appreciate the, your time today and, and coming out from Melbourne uh, in this particularly difficult, uh, yeah. difficult times. Um, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again at some stage in the near future as, we, uh, as things start to play out more and we get a bit of the picture of that picture uh, of uh, going across the, uh, the bridge. Across the bridge, yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much uh, for listening today. We've been very lucky having uh, Andrew Papagiorgio, uh, the joint managing partner of Realm, with us here. And we look forward to sharing our next version of Ground Control with you uh, in the near future. Thank you.